Greetings and welcome to this podcast episode, Planning the City for an Unpredictable Future. I am B.R. Balachandran, an urban planner currently engaged in doctoral research at the University of Illinois. I will be discussing this topic with Dr. Bimal Patel, an architect and urbanist who has been instrumental in many transformative changes in the urban planning systems in Gujarat and elsewhere in India. I worked closely with Bimal in the first decade of his urban planning work, and it's my pleasure to do this series of podcasts with him now. Hi, Bimal. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Bala. I'm really happy to be doing this podcast. In our last podcast, we talked about the paradigm shift that is needed to make city planning work in India. When you unpack the paradigm shift, one of the first points you made was that city planning in India tends to be excessively deterministic in dealing with an essentially unpredictable future. That our master plans and development plans don't take uncertainty into consideration. I request you to elaborate this point to start today's discussion. Yes, uh, well, it's true that uh, city planning in India is excessively deterministic. Uh, Indian planning, Indian planners, seem to want to design cities uh, just in the way that one would design a bridge, for example. They, they use, so to say, the predict and provide approach to planning. Uh, you see, when you are designing something like a bridge, an engineer who is designing a bridge, uh, first starts out by asking some basic question. What is the, 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 the span of the of the bridge going to be in the sense what is the width of the let us say the river that is being bridged or how much do i have to span then the engineer wants to know information about the flow of water that the bridge has to withstand then the engineer wants to know uh, what is the load of the traffic going to be how much traffic is there going to be uh, what, what what are you willing to spend on this uh, wants to know everything, uh, uh, all the requirements that the future bridge has to, you know, uh, answer to. And once the engineer has determined what the requirements are, then the engineer uses the knowledge that uh, he or she has uh, to design a bridge. And then certainly the bridge will meet all the requirements that, the, uh, that were defined in the beginning. Now, in a similar fashion, Indian planners start by asking some basic questions about the city they are being asked to plan. Uh, they want to know uh, what's going to be the needs of the future population that is being planned for. So they first start out by, uh, by trying to establish the future population. They look at past trends and then they project into the future and make a high prediction, a low prediction, and a medium prediction. And usually they go with a medium prediction. Then they try to figure out what that, 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 that population will need in, uh, in the year that is being planned for. Let us say it's being planned for uh, 20 years from now. So in 2040, what will the population need? Uh, now, to project what the population will need, they need to know a lot of things, such as how much land will be consumed, how much housing will be consumed, how much electricity will be consumed, so on and so forth. Now, since it's impossible to answer all these questions, they use a standard set of guidelines that the government provides. 
regarding what is the consumption pattern of people. And they use those guidelines and the standards that are given in those guidelines to project the requirements of the future. Having worked out how much land is needed, how much housing is needed, how many parks will be needed, how much water will be needed, how much sewage system, how, everything. They, they, having worked that out, they go about then uh, designing a city of the future. They, they, they draw it up on plan and they say, well, it's going to extend out to these many areas. This is where the roads will be. This is where the parks will be, etc., etc. Just in the way you would design a bridge. They are designing a whole city. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but only a little bit. Uh, uh, once having made a design for the future city, they then make that plan, make that design binding on everybody, legally binding. And, and basically, everybody is then required to make all their decisions about where they're going to locate and, and, and where they're going to live, etc., based on that. All, all infrastructure investments are to follow that sort of plan. Sounds very reasonable that you would want to figure out future requirements and then, uh, and then design the city to meet those future requirements. Right. But people forget to ask a basic question. Can these requirements be established with any certainty at all. Um, I've said earlier, uh, you know, uh, think back to 20 years ago, how much of today could you have predicted? With a population that is slowly, you know, becoming richer, it is impossible to figure out uh, uh, what will be consumption patterns in the future. Technology is changing, social, social, you know, uh, uh, social attitudes are changing. With everything up in the air, it is almost impossible really for us to say that 20 years ago we could have predicted what today would have been like. Right. Now, in, because the future then does not unfold according to what the planners had imagined, uh, the plan that they have made legally binding on everybody becomes a stranglehold. And slowly uh, uh, the future starts deviating from what the plan had predicted. Yeah. And very soon, it becomes impossible to do things as prescribed in the plan. And this is the primary reason why most Indian plans cannot be implemented, because they prescribe things in the plan that do not confirm with present day needs. And everybody then starts uh, deviating from the plan and uh, we start having a lot of problems. So I would say that planners have to completely abandon this idea that you can predict the future with any degree of certainty. Uh, they should not try to model the future as many planners want to do. Uh, they should embrace, embrace the notion that the future is not predictable and that the, that, 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 that the age we live in is, is in many ways uh, uh, of high unpredictability and, and we should not try to make plans uh, of with the kind of certitude that Indian planners do. Right. Actually, many other domains of human endeavor seem to accept this uncertainty with a lot more, uh, uh, you know, capability than uh, planning does. I was facilitating a stakeholder workshop in Trivandrum just a few months back and there was this, you know, there was a commotion at one table during breakout groups and there was this businessman telling a 
senior town planner. You cannot predict the future. You know, 20 years back, could you have imagined how the Technopark would have, uh, you know, could change Trivandrum? And, you know, there's something about economy that I want to bring in. Uh, so we have seen great manufacturing centers decline. We have seen the IT industry driving growth and demographic shifts in our uh, cities like Bangalore. What does economic flux imply for city planning? Well, you know, uh, you're absolutely right, Pala. Uh, and they, you know, we 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 live in a time uh, where uh, our economies uh, economies, uh, as you might you might say, are capitalist economies. Uh, they are based on, uh, they function based on firms competing with one another. Uh, and when you have such uh, a system where firms are competing with one another to constantly outdo one another, uh, you know, by, uh, by, by disrupting established uh, ways of doing things, then you are bound to see uh, a lot of disruption and change all the time. Now, this is something positive. It is not, uh, it is not all negative uh, because it is the process of creative destruction, as, as, as his famous uh, economist put it, uh, that really uh, brings innovation into, uh, into our lives and constantly is improving the way in which we are doing things. But this disruption also means that, uh, that, that there's a lot of uh, uncertainty into the future. Um, we, we, we simply cannot expect things to go on a linear trend as uh, planners are almost always forced to uh, you know, believe uh, that things will suddenly change. Uh, cities that were once important become unimportant. Cities that were unimportant suddenly become important. Uh, manufacturing moves around different places in the world. Um, supply chains change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, what this does is also brings, uh, you know, challenges one other favorite notion of Indian planners, uh, which is uh, the search for stable and balanced outcomes. Uh, forever, they're trying to balance growth uh, to ensure that backward regions are not, uh, you know, left out, that growth is spread out equally everywhere. There seems to be a fascination uh, along with a sort of a, uh, the, the belief that, uh, that you can predict the future. There seems to be a fascination uh, with, uh, with, 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 uh, with trying to create balance, of trying to create stability, trying to create equitable outcomes everywhere, uh, we have to understand that we live in an economic system uh, that thrives on getting everybody uh, uh, to uh, specialize in, in ways. And, and then uh, this creates a, a sort of a very good landscape. It also creates instability and flux and planners have to learn to live with this. We live in a capitalist uh, age and, and we cannot uh, pres uh, presume that we can create uh, completely balanced and stable uh, landscapes. Uh, and, and so that search uh, is, is it is not appropriate and if it drives your planning it's not going to work this is an abstract notion um, right. but it is very much fundamental to the attitudes that planners carry yeah so how did we get into this mode of planning i mean i can see what you i can sort of uh, i hear what you're saying that, uh, that the future is not just unpredictable but it's also unstable but historically speaking why did urban planning adopt the predict and provide 
approach is it is it a colonial hangover well that's a, you know this is a this is a big question and 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 not enough uh, historical research i think has been done on indian urban planning i think to uh, you know uh, but i'll ha hazard a guess I, I, you know from whatever little i know uh, of of the history of of planning uh, here I, I don't think what we see today is is uh, something that is a colonial hangover uh, so much as a, uh, 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 a continuing of uh, the kind of uh, planning that got done just at the early part of the 20th century, um, after independence also, uh, when uh, towns were being designed for companies, uh, for example, Jamshedpur, when company towns were being designed, mm. um, you know, and when uh, new capitals uh, got designed. Um, these were cities that were being designed from scratch like chandigarh like chandigarh but particularly towns like uh, jamshedpur mm. uh, uh, you know where if you have a company town you can predict everything that will be needed in that company town right. uh, because it's uh, you know um, it, it, the manufacturer that manufacturing that is going to take place there is known the number of workers are known their income levels are known uh, you know what future you know what, what, what the total requirements are going to be so you can start designing towns in a way uh, that is very deterministic and you have to that's what a company would do um, but i think it is this sort of planning that inspired the planners uh, of india after independence when they started doing uh, planning for new towns like uh, gandhinagar or bhubaneswar or chandigarh uh, this got an added boost this approach of deterministic planning got an added boost when indias were left under indira gandhi and the, the techno bureaucrats at the highest levels of government started designing the economic landscape of the country. Uh, the famous uh, license permit Raj, uh, mm -hmm. by which they decided they would uh, tell everybody where they should, uh, where, where they should locate, where they should, uh, you know, how much they should manufacture, what they should manufacture. They wanted to sit in the, you know, in the in, in the highest levels of government and determine how the whole landscape of the country would be. They wanted to design the, 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 the whole landscape of the country. And Indian urban planners picked up all the clues from there uh, and started making deterministic plans of the kind that were being made at the national level. So I'm not surprised that we have this approach, but we, it has served us very, very poorly and we ought to abandon it at the earliest. Right. But then if the future is so unpredictable and unstable, is it possible to plan at all? Uh, why is it necessary to plan? Well, it's, it's very clear that with too little or no planning at all, towns and cities are, are, are quickly going to become dysfunctional. And this is precisely what happened uh, when, uh, you know, um, when, when the West industrialized. Uh, when towns and cities suddenly started uh, sort of growing into industrial uh, uh, centers, uh, soon there was simply no uh, way in which all the decisions of, uh, were of, of, of the different people who were living in the city and their decisions about where to live, where to manufacture things, how much, uh, you know, uh, 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 what kind of infrastructure, 
should be put in, etc. None of this was coordinated and thought out. And very quickly, these cities became completely dysfunctional. I mean, there was vast amounts of pollution, there was lack of infrastructure, uh, and these became living hells in some way. Uh, that was the 19th century city in, in England. Uh, uh, and this is the same sort of thing that happened in India when the cities and towns started industrializing. Without any planning, they became completely dysfunctional and, 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 and they became a mess, and which is what uh, you know, tells you that you need some planning. But you need a balanced amount of planning. You cannot plan so much and that the city is not able to function also that people are not able to take it take decisions based on on, on uh, what makes sense for them uh, so um, so what you need is the right amount of planning with the right amount of uh, of of of, cert of of certitude and determinism uh, you cannot try to determine everything. Now, the fantastic example, of course, is always that, that is always held up is New York. Uh, you know, uh, very famously, uh, the the plan of New York consisted of nothing uh, but a grid of streets uh, that was planned sort of 150 years ago. And once that grid of streets was fixed, you had a framework uh, on which. Uh, the whole city and the future could unfold. Um, the streets provided a basic uh, framework through which all the infrastructure could run through, you know, where all the movement could be organized. And then the plots, uh, uh, the blocks in between the streets, uh, you know, nothing much was specified about what happens there and slowly it evolved in a city that we see today. Uh, so what we need is planning is necessary for the right amount and only those things that need to stay determined uh, that, that you need to fix and uh, for once and for all need to be planned and fixed. The rest need to be left open for, for things to unfold as they, as they will. So there are so many things that, uh, that it takes to make a city function. So how do you decide um, which ones need to be planned uh, well ahead of time and which ones should be left to, you know, the operation of the market? I, I would, I would, uh, I mean, if I, if I had to, you know, put it very quickly and, and, and if I have to just give a list and say, well, uh, the most important thing is to carve out a public domain mark out the, the uh, area that has to be, or the land that has to be left open for streets and green spaces. This is what you fix and from the beginning. You can't do this at a later date. Uh, don't worry too much about where all the amenities are going to come up. Uh, you know, all the amenities like schools and, 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 and other infrastructure, infrastructure facilities, etc. Don't get too caught up in that. Uh, then uh, do some very, very basic uh, zoning to ensure that uh, activities that generate a lot of nuisances are segregated. Uh, don't uh, worry too much about telling everybody where to, uh, where to locate and not locate. After that, determine a little bit about uh, you know, kind of development rights that owners uh, will enjoy uh, in the sense of how much floor space can they build on their plots. Uh, as a matter of right, and, and do some 
uh, rudimentary uh, sort of uh, definition of urban farm, but do not determine all these okay. things. The only thing that's really determined is the public domain. Right. So when you say public domain, uh, what all goes into it? To my mind, the arterial road grid of the city can be considered sort of the most important structuring element because it provides the right of way for almost all kinds of infrastructure. You know, even later on, if you want to build a metro over it, that's also possible. So would you say that that is enough or is it when you say public domain, do you include something more? No, I, 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 I would, uh, you know, um, I, absolutely the arterial uh, uh, road grid of the city. I'd say the, the if, if possible, the entire road grid of the city is something that uh, you, you know, sort of draw up from the beginning. And um, um, that's what your plan consists of. Uh, it, this is what provides the framework, as you rightly said. It provides the structural element around which everything else grows. Uh, this is not just a framework of the streets are where you're going to build your infrastructure on uh, the streets are going to be the, uh, the rights of ways for movement because that's essential in any city right. all that movement is what makes uh, cities work and, and so you must get the road grid drawn up once and for all and then hang on to it for dear god i'd also say that another thing that you need to uh, draw up right in the beginning is uh, is 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 land for parks and gardens this is also something that will be underprovided if you uh, um, uh, leave it uh, i mean it cannot be privately provided because these are common public parks and public uh, gardens that you want to create you might you you should draw them up right in the beginning you should define where they are going to be and you must find a way of appropriating all the land that is needed for streets and uh, and for these parks and gardens this okay. is this is what you draw yeah this is what you draw this is all the common common that you want okay. now uh, the, let me just uh, just add one more small thing here uh, we do very poorly at this hmm. and Indian town planning. Uh, this is the most important thing that planning must do and determine right from the beginning, but we do very poorly at this. Um, and, and that's where all the attention needs to be paid. Yes, you were saying something. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to go on to the point you made about amenities. So I, in my experience of working with master plans and development plans, one of the most contested terrains in urban planning is the practice of reserving land for amenities and infrastructure. So I wanted to pick your mind on why is this so problematic and are there better ways of securing land for public purpose? Because planners team seem to think if we don't reserve this land, we'll never get it, uh, you know, to put up that transformer 10 years down the line. What yeah. yeah, so uh, there are two aspects to this problem. One is, uh, 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 appropriating the land and the other is is what you want to put in from you know what you want to determine from the beginning uh, and um, uh, both of them are problematic you want to determine where the land of the streets is going to be but you still have the problem of how you're going to appropriate it uh, from people and that's a bigger problem different issue i don't want to get into it uh, straight away here uh, it's it's an issue of how do you equitably and fair what fair means can you use to appropriate land that you need but let's say you've solved the problem of how much uh, how to you know 
how to how to appropriate in a fair manner all of this land that you need. I'd still say appropriate for streets, appropriate for parks, do not appropriate too much for amenities. Uh, let me give you the reason for that. Um, you know, in, in Indian, Indian planners used to appropriate land for all sorts of amenities, for example, telephone exchanges. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they might be doing it for some other, you know, telephone exchanges even now. Now, you know, the, uh, the, the, the technology changes. You don't need those amenities. Markets change. Some amenities that the government had to worry about are not being provided by government any longer. Earlier, uh, government was, uh, you know, sort of earmarking land for provision of shopping centers. But no, everybody... The private sector builds malls now. You don't need shopping centers. So why mark out land for this? So in general, I'd say uh, be concerned about getting land for the public domain, which is streets and for, uh, for parks and gardens. Uh, whatever you need for amenities, you can appropriate later on, maybe even through the market. Uh, maybe you need to appropriate land for a few amenities, for example, schools that will never be able to get enough land later on, but keep that list minimal. Don't worry about determining right now what amenities the future population will need and what the government will have to provide. Because yeah. you cannot predict, as I said, hmm. and once you predict, uh, you are fixed with that, you are, you are stuck with that prediction, and in future you will have, you know, if a change is required, you will not be able to make that change. Also, uh, both in the case of land for streets and for amenities, figure out a fair way of doing this, but we, we can deal with that issue later. That's, yeah, that's, that's, really yeah, that's a topic by itself. So now I want to ask about um, one of the uh, sort of holy grail uh, elements of planning for the lay person and even for a lot of planners changing land use and uh, fsi or far the floor area ratio that's like sacrilege so i want to start with land use so if land use is flexible how can we manage you know how can we ensure that adjacent land uses are compatible how can we make sure that the really uh, hazardous land uses are uh, segregated how can we estimate infrastructure demand for uh, different land uses and so on well a short answer is we can't estimate <laughs> demand for what will be needed in in future so let's uh, let's try to not try and figure out how much land will be needed for what use in the future because uh, the future is unpredictable. But let me let me elaborate a little, little more. Uh, you're right that land use zoning is one of the most deterministic as you know, one of the one of the as deterministic things that Indian planners do. Uh, they try to carve up a city into land use zones. Uh, and, and and you know there are some 20, 10, 20, 15 different types of zones depending city to city. Each zone uh, has a list of uses that are allowed to locate in that zone, and others that are not allowed. Others are not allowed to locate in that zone, and 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 then this uh, this sort of a zoning plan becomes legal, legally binding, and everybody has to uh, uh, follow it. Now the problem is that uh, then the problems at multiple levels. First of all. Uh, 
the, the problem is of uh, trying to predict the future. What will be the kind of uses that will be there 20 years from now? We don't even have an idea. Uh, for example, you were saying that in a city where you did not have IT manufacturing or software technology, suddenly a new use comes up that you don't even know is going to be coming up. So how do you plan for that? So it's impossible to predict what the, what the demands for land will be in the future, what types of uses will be there. But it is true that uh, you do want to you know, uh, 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 ensure that uh, people are not able to locate very harmful or activities that are uh, potentially harmful to their neighbors in, 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 in any place that they want to, that you want to segregate some uses. So some very basic uh, type of zoning is needed. The rest of it has caused more problems uh, than it has solved. Uh, you should leave it uh, to decide on a more individual basis whether, uh, whether a particular use can locate in a particular neighborhood or not. And you should use more uh, performance-based criteria, for example, how much, instead of trying to figure out whether a particular type of activity can locate in a place or not, you should take decision from, you know, at every stage about uh, whether it can you know, don't try to determine it from the beginning, try to determine it uh, at the time that it's going to happen. So that amount of flexibility better be there. Otherwise, please remember that, uh, you know, um, cities are very complex, lots of very different, uh, seemingly incompatible activities can often be right next to each other and learn to live with each other uh, at a local level. People sort out problems. There is a huge amount of complexity. Don't try to reduce that complexity into simplistic zones. Um, believe in, in, in mixed uses and, 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 and do the least amount of zoning that's necessary is what I would say. Um, that's perhaps not immediately useful, but as a guidance, do less than do more. Right. And there's a similar sort of uh, controversy that always emerges around the concept of uh, flow space index or flow area ratio, you know, which determines how much you can build, how much built up area you can build on land. And, you know, on the one hand, uh, people think that the real estate market has a totally insatiable appetite for FSI. And on the other hand, planners are like mortally scared of higher FSI. What's a sensible approach to FSI? You know, planners want to control FSI because they believe that by controlling the amount of floor space that comes up in any place, they will control the, uh, uh, the stress that is created uh, by uh, uh, habitation in a particular place, um, but that's uh, such a uh, such a uh, you know a wrong way to think about it, because stress is not created by floor space. Stress is created by people, in the sense that uh, you know you might you might have an, uh, let us say that you have a building. Uh, stress is not created by the building itself. Stress on the infrastructure is created by the people who live there. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you have a lot of people living there, you will have lots of traffic, you will have, need lots of water, you will create lots of sewage, uh, you will need lots more electricity, so on and so forth. But in that same building, if, if, if half the number of people are living there, you would have uh, half the amount of stress. So why 
control the amount of floor space. Uh, planners uh, seem to want to do that because they think that the per capita consumption of floor space is something that's going to remain constant always. Uh, and that is such a, such a, a ridiculous notion. Um, because in a place like Mumbai, you might control the floor space, but people keep pouring in and they use less and less space and you still get uh, 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 the same amount of stress that you uh, that you were going to get in any case, and and now it's worse because people are enjoying less floor space than they can afford to have. And artificial scarcity is created by the control on FSI, and the prices go up, and it, things become unaffordable for everybody. So I think this idea of controlling stress through the control of floor space is misguided, uh, and it. In general, uh, our planners should not try to predict how much floor space will be required in which part of the city. They ought to leave it open uh, to market forces because people will determine where they want to locate based on, based on where other people are locating, so on and so forth. And it's impossible for planners to predict that from the beginning uh, where everybody should locate and how much floor space should be built everywhere. This does mean that the whole process of development of the city is a bit messy, uncoordinated, etc. But no city in the world grows in, uh, you know, is built like a company town, uh, perfect at every stage. You know, that's not how you build cities. So you should not worry about controlling FSI you should, or determining how much floor space will be in which part of the city right from the beginning. You do need some controls, uh, but you should leave lots of flexibility in that to allow for more, more space to come up when demand increases in an area. Yeah, but then, you know, if if you uh, leave land use and FSI and many other features of the city flexible, then how can we ensure, you know, a desirable character and you know, pleasant lived experience in a city and, and something that's sort of you know, long lasting and enduring because the typical ex urban experience in India is chaotic, whether it's movement or the, you know, sensory experience, but then, in every city, one does find some areas that have a sense of place. And I don't mean just heritage areas, even recently built areas sometimes, you know, often have that sense of place. So how do you, with, with so much flexibility, how do you uh, create this? I completely agree with you that you can't have good cities without a good sense of place and you can't get good sense of place without some degree of order leaving everything flexible and leaving everything open to individual decisions and what makes sense for individuals is not going to create order spontaneously. Uh, uh, some degree of, 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 of guidance and, and, and control is necessary and uh, we have been very, very bad at uh, providing that sort of guidance. Um, so I, I think that uh, there are areas like everywhere in India uh, where there is an uh, over-regulation and, and one has to argue for, uh, uh, you know, sort of a reduction of the level of regulation that you have in these areas. So, for example, land use zoning needs to be, you know, it's, it's a case of over-regulation and you need to make it more flexible. Uh, FSI over-regulation, you need to make it flexible. But in the area of urban form, there is no regulation and we need to bring in regulation. So you need to be a little okay. more deterministic here rather than less. And, mm -hmm. and, and, but you should do it in ways 
that does not kill the flexibility that you're trying to build. Now, there are ways of doing it through uh, uh, building regulations that, uh, that uh, ensure a minimum degree of order uh, as the city uh, grows. Um, but this Indian planning has yet to learn how to do. It's, it, it could be called something like form-based codes, etc. Uh, but that's another big topic and perhaps not the right one for right now. But yes, you're right, uh, urban form, uh, uh, is an area in which you need more determinism, not less. Uh, so uh, it's not a one-way uh, argument saying everything needs to be made more flexible. Some things need to be more, made more flexible. Some things need to be less than they are today. And, and so that's the important thing. Right. So, you know, today's topic has been especially relevant since we are living through a period of unprecedented uncertainty caused by this pandemic. So reflecting on what we just discussed, uh, do you think urban planning can help build a sort of resilience and stability in the face of unpredictability and uncertainty? Well, you know, Bala, I would say uh, we have to have, I mean, this just points out to the importance of urban planning. Uh, what uh, it is absolutely needed for making a more uh, uh, secure future. Planning is required. Uh, the problem is we need the right kind of planning. Uh, what we are doing is the wrong kind of planning and therefore it does not work. And you know, as I keep saying, as we all said when we used to work together and started this uh, whole uh, mission in a sense, that we have to do planning that works in India. So that's, uh, that's important. Right. Thank you, Bimal. With that, we end uh, this podcast. I really look forward to continuing this dialogue on how to make city planning work in India. Thank you very much, Bala. This is uh, a real pleasure. And thank you for this interview. Dear listeners, thank you for listening to this podcast. The future is unpredictable indeed, but we plan to bring you more discussions on making city planning work in India. So stay safe and see you soon.